All right, if you have your Bibles with you, turn to Job chapter 34. We are approaching the end of the book of Job. Some of you are saying, hallelujah, we're getting to the end. But as we get to the end of the book of Job, there are some key principles that come out of the book that we really need to pay attention to. And this morning, as we start in Job chapter 34, Elihu is going to say this, beginning in verse 1. Then Elihu answered and said, Hear my words, you wise men, and give ear to me. You who know, for the ear tests words as the palate tastes food. Let us choose what is right. Let us know among ourselves what is good. As we get to the end of the book of Job, Elihu is going to underline for us a very important principle. Let us choose what is right. He didn't say, let us choose what we like. He didn't say, let us choose what we've been taught is right. As Elihu looks at Job, he looks at his friends and looks at whoever else may have been gathered because until we got to the end of the book, we didn't even know that Elihu was there. He looks at all of these folks and says, here's an important principle and listen and hear my words. Give ear to me. Give ear to me who? You who know. And I thought about that because I thought about that in the context of our Sunday morning service. Often you turn to a passage, and especially in Job's not too familiar to many of you, so I get away with more of that. But you turn to a familiar passage and people say, I know what's in there. I know the doctrine that's going to come out of there. And Job and his friends are sitting there thinking they know the answers. They know the answers to why God's working the way he is. The problem is Job's friends have one answer to why God's working. Job has another, and unfortunately for both groups, Elihu is going to bring a third, and Elihu is going to agree with God, so whose side do you want to be on? So he's looking at those men who proclaim themselves to be wise and says, listen to me, you who already, and he probably could have said, and I'd love to be able to say in the Hebrew it means this, but I'm not sure that it really does, but you who think you know. But that's the implication as he gets into the rest of this passage. So those of you who think you know, and here's why I want you to listen to me. And maybe no better illustration for a Baptist church than the next illustration. He said, for as the ear tests words, the palate tastes food. We eat around here all the time. And I've watched some of you. When you go down, and I come last through usually by the time I finish yakking and getting through, to the fellowship dinner, and you've gone through, and I can tell what you really like. It's already gone. There might be a sign there, but you tasted it. It was good. Some of you got seconds before I could even get in line, and it's gone. Because the palate tasted it, and it was good. Now, if it looks like salad and it's green, I can always find some of that on the table. But the fact of the matter is, what's good for us? What would you rather eat, the salad or the dessert at the end of the table? Except for a few who don't like dessert. I know who it is. Some of you check the dessert table first. Some of you have your plate of dessert on the table first before you even go through the line because that tastes good to you. And in a way, what Elihu is saying to these men is, I know what sounds good to you. I know what sounded good to your ears. I know what you think is the right thing to do, but listen to me. Listen to me because just like that palate tastes food, I want your ear to taste the truth. And I want you to, verse 4, choose what is right. That is such a key principle for us today because there are a lot of voices in the ears of Christians today. You have the voice of the world telling you how you ought to handle truth. You've got more 
preaching at your fingertips than generations before ever had. You can get on the internet. You can get, some of you actually have a radio. Some of you need to teach the younger generation what that is. But the radio, and you listen to radio programs. Some of you get it off of cable TV, but you're getting preaching all of the time. And what you need to do is test it with your ears to choose what is right. Because the fact that it's on the internet doesn't make it true. The fact that it's on TV or on the radio or published in a book doesn't make it true. And there may be elements of truth, but Elihu has a very important point to us as Christians today as he looks and he says, let us choose what is right. Let us know among ourselves what is good. And I challenge you with that even as we go through this because he's going to talk in this passage more so than any other about Job, this is what you said. And then he's going to give a rebuttal. This is what the truth is. And then he's going to kind of give some kind of a reaction on this is what needs to happen next. And often as we come to the word of God on a Sunday morning, you're going to hear, this is what you think. But this is what the word of God says. And then the question is going to be, what are you going to do about it? And so as Elihu begins, he says, listen, hear And the implication is, do something about this so that we may be right and good. And he said, let us choose among ourselves what is right. And the word for right here means that which is legally correct. In the concept of this passage, it's, what's the correct doctrine? What is God really like? Because all of Job's friends had a picture of what God is like, did they not? They tried to go after Job because they knew Job had to be in sin because of the picture that they had of what God is like. Job had a picture of what God is like. And why was Job so distraught? Because his picture of what God is like and the way he blesses good and judges evil wasn't meeting up with what he was experiencing in his life. And Elihu looks and says, let's talk about some things and then I want you to choose what is right. And not only what is right, but what is morally sound, what is good. The way we ought to live. Before all of this took place in Job's life, was Job living a morally sound life? Yeah, he was blameless before God. When we get to chapter 34 and 35, is Job still living a morally sound life? And often when you read the book, like I said before, you read chapter 1 and 2 and you think, Job's a sinless man. No, Job's not a sinless man. Job's problems didn't come because of his sin, but Job sinned because of his problems. And that's a lesson that we need to learn. We can go into our difficulties serving God and following Him. And if we're not careful what our preconceived notions are about the way God works and the way He ought to work in our minds will lead us to sin. It'll lead us to discouragement. It'll lead us to depression. It'll lead us to bitterness if we don't get it right what is good and what is wise and what needs to happen. So Elihu goes into this whole thing and says, let's talk about some of this. Number one, Job, here's your complaint against God, beginning in verse 5. For Job has said, I am in the right, and God has taken away my right. Stop there for a minute. How many of you think you're wrong most of the time? I could ask, but I won't. How many of you think you're ever wrong? Some of you are never wrong, right? You raise your hand. Well, Job is in this, and Job, throughout this book, to the point where it's gotten exhausting as we've listened to all of the speeches back and forth, what has Job contended? I am right. Was Job right? Job hadn't sinned in the beginning, but by the time we get to Job chapter 34, Job is not right. 
Job is not handling life the way Job should be handling life. And so Job, he says, Elihu says, I am right and God has taken away my right. In spite of my right, I am counted a liar. My wound is incurable, though I am without transgression. What man is like Job, who drinks up scoffing like water, who travels in the company with evildoers and walks with wicked men? For he said, it profits a man nothing that she should delight in God. We go from Job's idea of what's going on to Elihu's take on it. Now, is Elihu a little bit harsh when he deals with Job in in this passage? Job says, I'm in right. God's taken away my right. In other words, what he's saying is, God's done me wrong. And we're going to go through two chapters right now where Elihu's going to teach us that God never does you wrong. Does it ever feel like God did you wrong? Can you understand where Job is? Job's trying to serve God and do right, and suddenly everything falls apart. And he's got to be reminded by Elihu in this passage that an almighty, sovereign God who is in control and is all-knowing and all-powerful will never do you wrong. He might not do you like you think you should have been done, but he will never do you wrong. And as he looks at this, Elihu looks at Job and said, Job, you say, I'm without transgression. And then he's pretty sarcastic when he said, what a man is like Job who drinks up scoffing like water. Elihu said, you know, I was here through all those speeches. Through all your accusing without accusing God. Getting right up to the line of saying, God, you're not being righteous and just with me, but not quite crossing it. But I've heard all of your arguments. And he's saying, you know, you're scoffing in such a way that you're like those who travel with evildoers and walk with wicked men. Was Job walking with wicked men? God looked and said, who is like Job? He's blameless. He runs from evil. He chases after good. There's no one like him in all the earth. But Elihu is looking and saying, by the way that you have begun accusing God of things, you sound just like the wicked men that are running all about you, that are running all over in our city, all over in our world. And he says, you're starting to look exactly and sound exactly like them because he says at the end of this in verse 9, for he said, it profits a man nothing that he should delight in God. Isn't that amazing? A man, blameless in the eyes of God as we start this book, is willing to say, it profits a man nothing. It profits him nothing that he should take delight in God. Now, did Job say that exactly that way? Now, it's very eloquent poetry that we've been looking at. But Elihu has this gift. This gift of looking at poetry and looking at all that Job has said and said, you know what it boils down to, Job? You said it profits nothing if you delight in God. And that sounds just like the wicked people all over the world. Now put yourself in Job's shoes. How do you react to that? It's interesting that God gives us none of the reactions to Job until the end. But would that take you back a little bit? Job, who's looked and said, I am sinless. And what did Elihu basically tell him? What's coming out of your mouth is no better than what comes out of the mouth of the wicked. And so he begins testing this idea of choose what is right. Not choose what is right for you. Choose what is right according to God. And so Job is being led along this path in the attention that what you insinuate in your heart and what later comes out of your mouth is just as bad as if you'd done the evil works ahead of time. Because your picture of God and how you are portraying God to others is a huge deal because it either brings glory to God or it brings Him down. And our lives are the same way. 
There are people who live in your neighborhood. There are co-workers that you have. There are business associates that you had. If you're retired, there's folks that you walk with in the neighborhood that the only picture they're liable to get from God is the picture coming from you. If you're struggling and you sound like Job, what picture of God do they get? And Job is kind of trying to get his mind around this as a lie who brings these things straight to his attention. And he says, there's problems here, Job. There's issues. You aren't as sinless as you're claiming to be. And actually, Elihu lines him up with the wicked. So what do we need to learn from this? Elihu is going to talk to him about this in verses 10 through 30. God is unfailingly just. Unfailingly just. God never goose up. He never works in your life and says, oh, that's not the person I should have done that to or allowed that to happen to. He never looks at your life and says, oh, I was looking the other way. I didn't realize that that happened to you. I'm sorry. That happens to us. We make promises. We try to take care of people. We try to do our best to see that that people have God working in their lives and, and blessings are coming into folks' lives. But we are not omniscient. We don't know everything in people's lives. And we're not omnipotent. We can't have the power to help everybody in everything. God does. God is. And as we go through this, we need to realize as a part of that, his whole rebuttal beginning in verse 10, Therefore hear me, you men of understanding. Far be it from God that he should do wickedness. And from the Almighty that he should do wrong. Why is he saying this? Because in Job's life and in your life, if there's difficulty, if there's health issues, if there's finance issues, if there's family issues, if there's political country issues, whatever your issue may be, God knows it's there and he put it there. It didn't sneak under God's radar. And he looks and he says to Job as he sees all of this stuff, he says, but even if you don't like it, God never does wrong. Does it feel like that sometimes? I I know some of you have had rough years physically. When you get that third doctor's appointment and find out something else is wrong, when you just got over the last issue, does it feel like, God, why me? Be honest. Do you ever get to the God, why me stage? I've been there. That's where Job is sitting. And as Elihu looks at him, he says, you need to understand something. God is always just, and he never, and the idea is he never perverts justice. In other words, he never twists justice. He never does you wrong. He never sneaks up behind you to take the knees out from under you just to do it to say, well, let's see what happens here. God is working his way, and he's working his plan. And Elihu says, God can never do wrong. What has been Job's whole Defense, I guess, is the best way to put it in all this. Say, I didn't sin. God's done this to me. And he doesn't want to say God was wrong, but he's like, something's wrong here. We need to have a a time in court for God to justify this to me. And Elihu's going to address that too. Because as we look at life going on, God rules. God reigns. God knows what's going on. In verse 11, he says, For according to the work of man, he will repay him, and according to his ways, he will make it befall him. Everything that Job's friends said was right. But it wasn't right in Job's case on why he was where he was. God is going to bless those who follow him. There's multitudes of promises in the word. God will judge sin and sinners. That's all over the word of God. But as we look at our lives, we need to realize that's not the only reason for difficulties to come into our lives or blessing. God's a gracious God. The rain falls on the wicked as well as on the just. You say, well, I wouldn't do it that way. That's because you're not God. 
God has a plan and God's working his plan. And he says here in verse 12, Of a truth God will not do wickedly. The Almighty will not pervert justice. It's not, God's not even capable of doing that. And then as he talks about God's sovereign rule over everything, he begins in verse 16 of chapter 34. He says, If you have understanding, hear this. Look at how many times in chapter 34 Elihu's going to say, Hear this, hear this, hear this. Why does he keep doing that? Because when we're struggling, we're usually not listening. We're talking. And even if we're pious about our talking, we're talking in what form? We're praying. But if we're not careful in our prayer, what are we doing? We're telling God why what happened to us isn't fair and he's got to fix it. And we want him to fix it now. Don't wait. I'm suffering now, so fix it now. I have health problems now. I don't want to wait six months or a year. Fix them now. I have finance problems now. Fix it now. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Just put the money in my account and we'll be good. Fix it. And we want everything to happen now. And that's where Job is. And Elihu's looking and saying, God's going to work and he's going to work in his time, but he's only going to work in his time. Look at what he says here. So one who hates justice govern, will you condemn him who is righteous and mighty, who says to a king, worthless one, and to the nobles, wicked man, who shows no partiality to princes, nor regards the rich more than the poor, for they are all the work of his hands. In a moment they die, at midnight the people are shaken and pass away, and the mighty are taken away by no human hand. Elihu looks and says, God does what he's going to do, and he doesn't have any respect for people, and persons, and power, and riches. God is going to work the way he needs to work, and God rules omnisciently. Look at verse 30, chapter 34, verse 21. It says there, For his eyes are on the ways of man, and he sees all his steps. God, in his omniscience, in his all-knowing, he sees what's going on. He sees what's going on in your life. He has the, the hairs on your head numbered. I know a few of you, it's easier than some of others. And some of us, it's getting easier to do every day. But God knows how many hairs you have on your head. He knows the number of your days, and you can't change those things. And God looks and he sees, and sometimes in the midst of our problems, we think, God's forgotten me. What else, what other explanation could there be? Because in our own eyes, most of us believe at times when we're going through difficult things, I deserve better than this. Is that a true statement or not? Why do people get depressed? Why do people go on all of these drugs because of their depression? It's because at the heart of it, the depression is just a symptom, and it's a symptom of the fact that I don't like what's happening in my life. And as a Christian, it's a symptom of the fact that, God, I don't like what you're doing in my life, so I'm going to sit and mull over it. I'm going to mull over my health issues, over my family issues, over my finance issues, over whatever issues are bothering you at the time. And that's exactly what happened to Job. Look at Job chapter 3. He was doing great till he spent seven days in silence, mulled all over it, and then he was a mess. And, and that's exactly what Elihu is pointing to. And he said, God sees, he knows, verse 23, for God has no need to consider a man further that he should go before God in judgment. He shatters the mighty without investigation and sets others uh, in their place. You know what he just said? That God sees enough that he doesn't need you to tell him what the circumstances are in your life. He already knows. Now, that doesn't mean you can't go to God in prayer, but sometimes, I've prayed with folks before, I've probably been guilty of it, if you've prayed with me before and heard this, but forgive me. But we go to God and we tell God the whole story. 
Now, why are we telling God the whole story? We're sick. We want to be healed. We have a financial problem. We want to take care of. There's family issues. We want God to work in hearts, and all of those are good things. But we tell God this whole long story, and by the time we're at the end of the story, we think, okay, God, I've made my case. Now, do what I've asked you to do, please. Now, we wouldn't say it like that any more than Job does, but at the bottom of our heart, it's there. I've told you my story. In case you missed it, does God ever miss it? He knows exactly what's going on in your life. And in this case, Elihu's reminding Job, Job, God knows that you lost 10 children. Can you imagine the grief of that? Don't forget what Job's come through. Sometimes we beat Job up a little bit too much. Job, I know you've lost these children. Job, I know that all your riches were taken away. Job, I know that you are physically ailing to the point that you just want to die. And Job, I'm in control of all of it. And Job's looking and saying, yeah, but I don't like it. And it doesn't make sense to me. And why? And so Elihu says, number one, Job, he sees. Number two, verses, 34, uh, verses 25 through 27 of 34. Thus knowing their works, he overturns them in the night and they are crushed. He strikes them for their wickedness in the place that for all to see. Because they turned aside from their following him and had no regards for any of his ways. He not only sees, but he knows. He knows what's going on in their hearts. He knows what's going on in your heart. He knows the crisis of faith you may be going through if you're going through these struggles. He knows whether you're trusting him or whether you're trusting in something else. And isn't it interesting? Did Satan leave anything in Job's life for him to trust in at the end of the day other than God? You know, sometimes if we're healthy, we trust in our health and we think, I'm always going to be that way. And suddenly overnight that can change. If we've got money and wealth, we're comfortable. We've got everything cared for. And overnight, that can change. We've got a wonderful family, and everybody's getting along, and we, just, we get together for all the holidays, and everybody loves mom and dad, and they love each other. And overnight, that could change. Or they know the truth, but have they come to the Lord? And all of those things are stresses. And we look at all those things, but God knows every one of them. Not only that, but Job over and over and over again kept saying, if only God would hear me, he'd take care of this. And so Elihu reminds him in verse 28, so that they caused the cry of the poor to come to him, and he heard the cry of the afflicted. God hears. What makes us think God doesn't hear at times? God hears, but he's not always on our timetable. He doesn't always decide that our manner of resolving the situation is the right manner of resolving the situation. But most of us, some people are arrogant enough to, but most of us don't go around saying, I'm always right, but we think we are. We've thought through these things. Job's friends thought through these things. They thought they were right. God's going to fix that. Job thought through these things. He was sure he was right. God's going to fix that. And Because God sees, God knows, God hears, but God rules sovereignly and no one can thwart his intentions. Look at verses 29 and 30 of chapter 34. When he is quiet, who can condemn? That's a little phrase that we could take some time to really think about. What is Elihu telling Job? When God doesn't answer you immediately, who are you to condemn him? We give my wife a hard time all the time because she's a busy lady. She works here and there. She can't always answer the phone. But our family has her answering machine message on her phone, her, her voicemail message, totally memorized. And most of them will call mom and then call me and say, is mom home? Why? She didn't, have, she didn't pick up the phone. 
It's like, it's not that mom doesn't care. Mom's phone is either off, she's out of someplace else, she's busy doing something else, but they'll call me to go get mom to make sure mom knows that they called so they could talk to mom because the answer wasn't there when they wanted it, and it didn't mean that mom didn't care. You know, mom will drop all kinds of things to talk to her kids or her grandkids. One day, maybe her great-grandkids if we get to be that old. But you look at that, and the same thing's happening here. Job's looking and saying, God didn't answer, so God doesn't care. And Elihu's looking at him and saying, who are you to condemn God if you didn't answer when you wanted him to? Because God's going to answer. God's going to answer Job as we get to the end of this book in just a week or two. And it's going to be interesting because when God answers Job, Job's going to wish God hadn't answered. Because God's going to set things right. Now, to Job's credit, we're going to see Job's reaction is exactly what it needs to be because Job learns the lesson and he hears some of these things. But again, as I looked at this stuff this week, I said, God, work in my heart. Because it is easy to sit and study this word. It is easy to pray and it's easy to think, you know what? I've got all the answers. And I looked, I said, God, reveal to me where I have a little bit too much of Job in my heart. A little bit too much of Job's friends in my heart where I think I know it all and you're working and you hear and you understand, but you've got a different plan than I do. And Lord, help me to find your plan instead of demanding mine. A lot of our prayer life, I'm afraid we're going to find out at the end of our lives, was God, let me redirect your plans and tell you how I think you ought to do it. Again, God wants to hear our concerns. But at the end of the day, why did Jesus Christ teach his disciples to pray in his name? It's not a Magic formula that you pray. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now God's got to do what we asked him to do. The reason that's there is that when you pray, I want you to pray that my will will be done in your life. Well, I would change the way I prayed, Lord. I got these things I wanted. Am I not supposed to take them? Well, you can take them, but at the end of the day, what did he teach his disciples to pray? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy Thy will be done. Before they prayed for daily bread, he said, pray for God's will to be done in your life. And that would revolutionize some of our prayer lives because some of our prayer lives are like the list, the honeydew list at home. These are the things you need to do. Now get on it, will you? And we think, you know, if you, if you nag somebody on the honeydew list long enough, they're going to get something done off that list. And that's how we kind of treat God at times when we need to go and say, God, here's my list. You know where my heart is because I know you see, I know you know, I know you hear. And now, direct my heart. This is what I'd love to see you do. This is what, at the bottom of my heart, I'm praying for. But God, make my heart in in concord with your will. Make me willing to do whatever. If that means I continue to suffer, God, let me continue to suffer. Does Job ever do that? In 34 chapters, if Job ever said, you know, God, I'm suffering immensely like no one else has ever suffered. But if this is what you want, you just go ahead and keep keep on. Job never said that. Job said, God, take me home. I've had enough. You know, if you can't fix this, take me home. And God said, that's not my plan yet. And I think, and often, in many ways, as we get to the end of this book, Job is ready to hear God because God's brought him to that point, even through all that suffering he's gone through. Even through all those difficulties that he's gone through. So God is unfailingly just. We go on, and we see now Elihu's accusation against Job at the end of this chapter. Look at verses 31 through 37. Elihu's going to look at Job and say, Job, you want to dictate your terms to God. And it just sounds like ignorant words. Look at verse 31. For as anyone said to God, I have borne punishment, I will not offend anymore. Teach me what I do not see, for I have done iniquity. I will do it no more. 
Will he make repayment to suit you because you reject it? For you must choose and not I. Therefore declare what you know. It's fancy the way Elihu said that. Can we boil it down? What Elihu's saying here is God's not obliged to order his workings in our lives according to our dictates just because we insist that we've learned our lesson. And Job does that again and again. God, if I've done anything wrong, let me confess it so that what? It's not so that I'll have a right relationship with you, so that all this suffering can end. Whether you take me home or whether you end the suffering, Job's looking and saying, you know what? Lord, just teach me not so I'll be more like you, not so I'll be more like Christ, but so that the suffering can end. Do you understand why he would pray that way? I understand why he'd pray that way, but Elihu looks and says, God doesn't work that way. Because God's omniscient, he's omnipotent, he has a plan for your life, and if those circumstances are in your life, there's a reason they're there. It's like, God, I don't like these circumstances. Job didn't like those circumstances. Most of us, sometime in our lives, if you don't have something in there now that you don't like, it's coming. Life's going to throw circumstances your way that you say, I don't know how I got here, but I don't like it. You know who knows how you got there? God knows how you got there. And again, we can go there almost too much, but I don't think we can learn the lesson too much. All things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And sometimes it doesn't feel good because it's not according to our purpose. But he has a purpose. And his purpose is so much greater. And Elihu's trying to bring Job to that point. And Elihu's basically introducing spiritual principles that God's going to slam into Job's heart in just a couple chapters. So don't miss it. Because God does the same thing for us. Sometimes it's through a friend who just shares a verse that they've been studying. Sometimes it's through the preaching of the word. Sometimes it's through your own devotional thought. God will bring something home in a verse and a passage that you hadn't seen before, and it'll hit you like a load of bricks. And the question is, what do you do with it then? Up until now, Job's rejected it. He doesn't want anything to do with it. God's about to work in his heart to bring him where he needs to be. Elihu wants Job tried to the end. It's interesting the way he puts that. If you look at verse 34... It says, men of understanding will say to me, and the wise man who hears me will say, Job speaks without knowledge, his words are without insight. Would that Job were tried to the end, because he answers like wicked men. What has Job been asking for, for chapters now? God, I want my legal representation before you, I want my court case, I want to stand before you, because I will be found innocent. And Elihu looks at him and says, you don't want that. Because when you stand before God, I wish your case would come to an end because God's going to declare you guilty. Maybe not guilty of what your friends thought you were guilty of, but guilty of your reactions to what happened up until now and guilty of even impugning God's character and his righteousness. And we need to be careful because every time we complain about the circumstances in our lives, you know what we're saying? God, I don't think you're just and righteous because I don't deserve this. And it's natural. And it's what we do in our flesh. But in the spirit, we need to see God is in control. God has a plan. God knows what he's doing. And God's going to spend three chapters reminding Job that God's in control. God's greater than he is. God knows what he's doing in order for Job to be able to see what's going on in all of these things. And then we get to chapter 35. And we only have a few minutes to spend in chapter 35. But Job's claim... Against God. He claims that God has denied him fair treatment. Look at verses uh, 1 through 3. And Elihu answered and said, Do you think this is just? Do you say it is my right before God? 
that you ask, what advantage have I? How am I better off than if I had sinned? I will answer you and your friends with you. Job's allegation here is basically for chapter after chapter after chapter, he's not said that God isn't righteous, but Job has implied that I am more righteous than God because God has no business doing this to me. Why does he ask for his time in court? So that God will realize that there's been a mistake made here, that he's innocent, and declare him innocent. And Elihu over and over again is telling him, God doesn't make mistakes. If God's not just, God's not God. If God's not righteous in the things he brings into your life, God's not God. And he even asks him here, do you think it's just to say that it's my right before God? And in the Hebrew, it literally means this idea, my righteousness is more than God's. Now, Job hasn't said exactly that, but he's pushed up against that line again and again and again because he looked and said, God, I don't like what's going on in my life. And I want you to change it, and I want you to change it now because it's not right. And Elihu's looking at him and said, an almighty, all-knowing God never does what isn't right. So if you don't think it's right, who's mistaken? We are. And that's Job's problem. Job is getting his mind around that. So, and he's, God's going to confirm all this. Job chapter 40, verse 8. He'll say, will you put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me that you may be in the right? Can you imagine standing before God and having God look at you and maybe put his finger right out to you and say, would you put me in the wrong? What's your, action, what's your reaction going to be? This isn't all my... No, 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 not that. And God's going to look and say, would you condemn me that you might be right? Is that what Job's been doing? According to God, that's exactly what he's been doing. If you're complaining to God about what he's doing in your life and telling God it's not right, it's wrong that you're doing this to me, you're doing the exact same thing. And I know circumstances may be difficult. I know things may not have turned out the way that you would hope they would, but there's an almighty God working everything together for what? For his glory. We are not our own. We've been bought with a price. God spends his time in Romans chapter 9. It says, you're like clay in the potter's hand. He can do whatever he wants. And we know that, but in the bottom of our heart, we think, but not that. That's a step too far, God. And God is teaching Job, he's teaching his friends, he's working through Elihu to bring through the accusation of Job to the point where he's saying, Job, you're wrong again. Whatever the answer is. And here's the problem. Job's looking, saying, I didn't sin, and look what you did to me. The truth of it is, look what you allowed Satan to do to me, but you allowed him to do that. And Job can't get his mind around it. And whatever the answer to that question is, Elihu suggests the implication that God may not be righteous or as powerful as we thought is not a valid option. And that's the exact option that Job has run to. And if we're not careful, we'll run to that option in our lives as well. God, if you've allowed this in my life, then either you're not as powerful as you were, as you say you are, or you're not as righteous as you say you are, because I don't deserve this. And that answer is not the answer that we can find. The interesting thing is, is God ever going to give that answer to Job? You're going to say, Job, you suffered because of... Job's like, I deserve an answer. And what's God going to tell him in the last part of this book? Have you read the, most of you have read the end already. What's God going to say? Who are you to ask me that question? You don't need that answer. You don't deserve that answer. Trust me. Is that easy to do? That's a, trust, that, that's a test of our faith. Can we trust God when he doesn't tell us exactly what he's doing in our lives and why? 
or can we not? And that's where Job is at this point. And this is where Elihu is challenging him on the fact that God is righteous. God does know. God has things under control. And he reminds him in verse 5, look at the heavens and see. Behold the clouds which are higher than you. There's something about looking out at God's creation. You know, can you reach up and touch the clouds? Any of you, how many of you have been to the Grand Canyon? You can raise your hands. This isn't a trick question. I stood before the Grand Canyon and I stood in awe of a God that created that kind of beauty. That kind of vastness. And I looked at that and I thought, what am I as I look at that? And that's what Elihu is doing with Job. He's saying, look up at the skies. Look at all that God's created. And who are you? The psalmist puts it this way. Psalm chapter 8, verses 3 through 5. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've set in place, what is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Elijah saying, look at all that God's done, and then question yourself, what are you doing questioning God? Who do you think you are? That's what he's asking Job. And sometimes we probably ought to have an answer to our prayer at the end when we say, in Jesus' name, amen. One of the angels ought to tap us on the shoulder and remind us, who do you think you are? Why did you pray what you just prayed instead of praying that God's will would be done? That God's Glory would be shown in your life. That you would have opportunities to testify of the goodness of God in the midst of difficulties. And that's where Elihu is with Job. He said, remember who you are. Verses 6 and 7. If you have sinned, what do you accomplish against him? And if your transgressions are multiplied, what do you do to him? If you are righteous, what do you give to him? Or what does he receive from your hand? Elihu is looking at Job's whole system of theology and saying, Job, you got it wrong. If you sin... How much impact have you had on God? Now, you'll impact the glory of God before the eyes of others, but if you touch the glory of God himself, is God any less holy because you sinned? That's what he's looking at Job and saying. He's saying, if you do the right thing, are you strengthening God in his case? Is God more powerful now that you're doing the right thing? What you do down here doesn't impact who God is in his nature. God doesn't need us. The fact that God has redeemed us is grace and mercy. And we, get, we should never forget that thing. And that's, he looks at Job and says, don't forget that. Job, you're saying I'm a blameless man and look what I've done for God. And he's going to go on and say, now you do things, do things for folks around you. Verse 8 says, your wickedness concerns a man like yourself and your righteousness is son of man. And what he's saying is the way you act does involve and does impact the community around you. But you don't change who God is. God's still God. He's still working. He is going to have his will and his way at the end of the day. And then he finishes up by saying this. Job, because of where you are, your words are empty. There's nothing to them. Look at verse 9. Because of the multitude of oppression, people cry out. They call for help because of the arm of the mighty. But none say, where is God my maker who gives us songs in the night? Who teaches us more than the beasts of the earth and makes us wiser than the birds of heaven? There they cry out, but he does not answer because of the pride of evil men. Surely God does not hear an empty cry, nor does the Almighty regard it. It's interesting what Elihu says. What Elihu says is going to go across the grain of much of our theology of what we think. Look at what he says here. Elihu says, God does not answer cries of those who are in anguish when they are purely self-centered, suffering, self-focused, and relief-oriented. Think about the last time you were suffering and prayed. Was it self-centered? 
Self-oriented, relief-oriented? Most of the time it is. And what Elihu has said here is God doesn't answer those kind of prayers. God wants a God-centered, wisdom-focused, and fellowship-oriented prayer. God, I want to have fellowship with you. I don't want my fellowship destroyed. Lord, I want you to be glorified in my heart and life. I want your wisdom to be seen in my life, even if I have to go through suffering. But we often don't pray that way. Because we don't like to suffer. Even though Jesus Christ told us it was going to take place. And so here's Job and, and Elihu's telling him what you've said. What you've said through chapters and chapters. What Bethany Bible Church is going to have to wade through for several weeks. And all of what you said, it's empty words and worthless because you don't have God's perspective. It's yours. You've got to have God's perspective on these things. You've got to keep focused on what's important in these things. In verse 14 he says, how much less when you say that you do not see him. And the case is before him, and you are waiting for him. He's like, you don't know what God's doing. God's going to reveal himself in God's time. Does God reveal himself in the book of Job? We're about to get there in his time. Does God hear Job? God doesn't miss a thing. And God's going to demonstrate that to Job, and Job's not seeing it because Job's lost in the problems that he's having. And then in verse 15, it says, And now because his anger does not punish, and he does not... Take much note of transgression. Job opens his mouth in empty talk. He multiplies words without knowledge. Elihu says, everything he says is empty. Why? Because God's not working like you want him to, when you want him to, on your timetable. And is Elihu right? Is Job guilty because of that? Well, God's going to tell him the same thing in his opening statement. Job chapter 38, verse 2, he looks at Job and God says, Who is it that darkens counsels by words? Without knowledge. Job's been begging God to handle his case. To find him not guilty. And in God's opening statement to Job, he said, Who is this that darkens my counsel with words that are unwise? If you walk into a court of law like that, and that's the first thing you hear from the judge, you're in trouble. And here's Job. He's about to hear this. And in a conclusion, what do we do with this now? How do we apply this to our lives? How do we hear these things? Satan would love to realign your focus. He would love to make you think you've got the right theology when you don't. Why was Job so adamant about where he stood? Because he thought he had things right. Why were Job's friends so adamant about where they stood? Because they were sure they had things right. And Elihu's looking and saying, no, there's only one person that has things right in this situation. is God. And you need to ask for God's wisdom. And you're going to go through things that Satan would love to refocus you. To sidetrack you from the real truth. To turn your heart away from God but make you believe that you've got it right. What are you going to do with that? How will he do that? In some of the same ways that he did that to Job. Your health. We all have a desire to feel good. To be able to do things that make us happy and fulfilled without suffering and pain. We want things to be like they used to be or at least like we remember they used to be. And when our health problems aren't allowing us to do this, we look at God and we say, fix this. And if we're not careful, we get to be like Job. Financial. Some of us have saved and saved for security and for comfort. And unfortunately, what are we trusting in? Oh, I've got all that money saved for a rainy day. You should see my 401k. Don't look now. Whatever it may be. God has a way of pulling that away to show us that that's not where our focus ought to be. This one's a little harder. It's harder for Job. I'm guessing this was probably one of the hardest things Job faced. When family's not working the way you thought it ought to work. I know many of you have wayward kids. It's heartbreaking. 
Does God know? Yeah, he knows. But you don't understand, Pastor. It tears our family. Does God know that? God knows. And I can't tell you why. Because I have no more wisdom than Job in the way that God's working at times. But God knows. God has a plan. And he doesn't begrudge you coming to him and saying, God, put this family back together. But he wants you to come to him and say, God, put my family back together for your honor and glory, not for my comfort level. Not so I feel good about the holidays or wherever it may be. God, put my family where it needs to be. Bring my children back to Christ. Help things to be where they ought to be. But if we can get, we can get so focused on the fact that it's not that we begin to question God, just like Job did. In our day and age, you know what else Satan uses often? He's using politics. Because we want to live in a country that honors and glorifies God. Is there anything wrong with that? It's coming. Read Revelation. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And it is hard to live in a country that's not doing what we think it ought to be doing. Where our beliefs are no longer upheld and sin doesn't seem to be punished. But it seems to be elevated and put on a pedestal. And if we're not careful what happens, our focus gets to the point where that's all we God fix our country. God's not obligated to fix our country. God wants to fix the sinners in our country. God wants to fix us. God wants Jesus Christ given out to people so that they'll change lives. But what about my kids? What about my grandkids? We get back to family when it gets to poly. I want them to have a better life. Is God in control or isn't he? God knows exactly what our kids and grandkids are going to go through. And the same almighty God who brought us through will bring them through in his time, in his way, and for his glory. But we've got to be focused on him. Where's your focus today? Job's problem, what Elihu is trying to tell him is, Job, your focus is wrong. You've lost what you had in that relationship with God, and it needs to be, be restored. Where's your focus today? If your focus isn't on an almighty God who's in control, it needs to be restored so that that fellowship can be what it ought to be. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this look into Job's life again, and the further we get into the end of this book, the more we see ourselves in the many struggles that we can have through life. God, I pray that you'll speak to our hearts and lives. Lord, I pray that you change our thoughts. So many times we think we know what the right thing is, and yet if we examine it by your word, if we taste like the palate tastes food with our ears looking to the scriptures and testing our thoughts, we find that we didn't have it quite right. So God, work in our hearts and lives. Make us what we need to be in Christ. Teach us to trust you in the midst of all of life's difficulties and sufferings and sorrows. And God, use us as a testimony of the power of the gospel and the power of Jesus Christ and the power of your spirit and the lives who turn to you. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.